Welcome to the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast, where we bring you interesting and hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts about a myriad of topics. I'm Al Dunn. This time, we're looking at a particularly relevant topic, office-based and remote working, and how to get the best out of both. Our guests are Kathleen Halligan, a chartered work and organisational psychologist and seasoned HR strategist, and Ian Croxon, an organisational psychologist working within learning and development in the Irish banking sector. And uh, you're both very welcome along to this PSI podcast. I think uh, whether we like it or not, remote working has become very real to a lot of people over a very short period of time. Some love it. Some are having a harder time with it. If we start with uh, Kathleen, take us through the pros and cons of remote working from an individual perspective. Sure. uh, Thanks, Al. So I guess some of the the key uh, advantages to remote working for the individual is the daily commute is gone. And if you had a big, long daily commute, that's a huge advantage. You can plan your day around your family. So if you have school drop offs or, you know, different care uh, responsibilities, you can plan your working day around that. Uh, You've controlled over your work environment. So if you're used to working in an open plan office where the poor facilities manager has gone daft with it's too hot, it's too cold, it's too bright, it's too dark, you can control that. You can create your perfect work environment. Um that boosts your creativity and productivity. So you've got a much greater level of autonomy over your uh, everyday activities and you can have flexibility to influence the times of the day that you work. So for some people, they their morning is their best time. They like to get up early, get going by seven o'clock or whatever. For other people, they'd rather a little bit of a lie in and go a little bit longer at the other end. So while that's a pro for the individual, that's also an advantage for the organization because you've got a, a longer day potentially that you're providing um, cover over. On the other side though, what did we get in the office? Well, you had that whole piece about contact with your colleagues. You have the, the office banter, just the very fact of, of bumping into different people and connecting with them. Um, it's difficult when you're working remotely in terms of some of the communications that you have to interpret the mood or the morale um, of others on the team. And also, for some people, so in one way, I'm saying you can determine your own routine. For other people, they love having the routine determined for them. So the act of getting up every morning, getting dressed, going out, going into the office and following the pattern of the office day brings great sort of solace to people. So some people are missing that um, and therefore that can be a, a disadvantage. I think remote working works better for some individuals than others. So if you're a self-sufficient, well-rounded expert in your field, it's much easier for you to be let go autonomously and, and work away. If you're in your early career, you know, maybe you just need having those people around to get some guidance and, and support from. And and I think other things that people miss out on is what I'm calling ambient learning. So just the very fact that you're in an office full of people, different people are talking to each other about projects that they've been working on or whatever. And you pick up snippets. You know, we, we pick up an awful of our early learning from that. So these these are some of the pros and cons, uh, certainly the 
that we see to the individual. And and I can see it in here with our team. We have uh, a couple of team members, one in particular, who'd be happy enough to, to be working at home for the rest of her life. And then we've somebody else at the other end of the scale that as soon as the new restrictions come in, she's saying, when can I get back to work? I do think, though, that it's, it's dawning on one of them uh, that maybe they're not progressing as much as they should because they're not w- working within uh, the learning environment and just working within the team on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Ian, how about uh, benefits or otherwise from a team perspective? Well, I think the team is, is very similar to a number of points Kathleen's just made about individuals, but you're looking at a lot more dynamics at play. So if you say for an average team, we have about seven people, okay, and, and a manager. What is happening with all of that choice now and flexibility from working from home creates a lot more uh, dynamics in every working day for a manager to deal with and also for fellow colleagues on the team to consider. Traditionally, if you were if you're working in an office based environment, and let's say for argument's sake, you were nine to five thirty, you knew you had a lot of opportunities throughout the day and ultimately throughout the week to sit down with somebody in your team, possibly last minute decision to to call upon them and ask them a question or perhaps in something more detailed and you set a meeting. So we're all very familiar with this. But when you're working ultimately in different environments, you're working from your own home, you could be in a different county, a different province, you don't have that obvious uh, guarantee that you know when somebody is available. Now, everybody's got a lot better at using Microsoft Outlook or whatever you're using as shared calendars to, to see each other's availability, but nobody's perfect at that. And, and that's a discipline we might discuss a little bit more now in a minute. But the, the fundamental challenge for teams is all of the things we took for granted of office-based work. Even if you already had some team members working remotely for some days of the week, you were traditionally predominantly in the office. That uh, guarantee of having people available has gone and knowing that they're definitely available has gone. And, and that's that's creating a lot of issues we see over the last six months in, in bringing people together because basically organizations and teams are about collaboration. They're supposed to be greater than the sum of their single individuals. Even I think the the traditional Christmas party is not going to happen. There's no there's whatever about the social aspect internally. There's no social aspect externally either. No, I think it's a good point. I actually believe it or not had a uh, an impromptu drinks party last night on Zoom. We didn't break any lockdown rules <laughs> with uh, with about ten or twelve colleagues. And uh, look, it it worked very well. It's a very close knit team. Um, it's a team of managers, so we all we don't work together on a daily basis, but we know each other well. And we've, we've collaborated a lot. And I suppose having the luxury of previously going out together in a pub, restaurant, whatever, means that you fall very into a natural way of, of um, informal communication. Uh, people are comfortable to, uh, to be a bit more relaxed because we've done it before. The challenge now is you're... We're now about seven months into uh, to a very different world where you will have seen new people join teams. It's The world is still going on. Recruitment is still happening. 
And for anybody who's joined a team in the last seven months, you do feel at a disadvantage. Whether or not the organization has made huge inroads in trying to bring you in through a good virtual induction and, and maybe even get you into the office when, when lockdown wasn't quite as severe, but you don't feel quite as close to your team. And I think it's a great example. You know, the Christmas party is a culmination of mm. everybody feeling comfortable and having good fun. Uh, it's almost a barometer of how well do you think your team get on mm. or not get on, as, as the famous Christmas parties would tell you. But now we have to, we have to be a lot more considerate of how we make teams, in simple terms, comfortable with each other, comfortable enough to trust each other and then comfortable enough to to share and, and often uh, to volunteer their time. That a lot of those basics that we had in the office that came out of, of being in a shared space, having a shared identity, so to speak, that is not guaranteed anymore when we're working remotely from each other. And again, speaking from a personal perspective in here, when we're when we're hiring people, um, the, the, the person who's most qualified for the job may not necessarily get the job if they don't fit in. So fitting in is a huge part of it. And it's difficult, I think, as an employer to conduct interviews over Zoom and get the same, the same feeling that you would have if you're sitting across from somebody to try and get that. Kathleen, are there any benefits or, or what are the pros and cons for, from an organisation point of view? Well, I think Lincoln into your very last point there about the recruitment side of things that um, when we're talking about remote working here, we're referring to the context that an awful lot of people who'd never worked from home got sent home to work. But global multinationals have had virtual working teams for many years Mm. now, and they have often, you know, had to do their recruitment never having met the person in in actual person. And I had that very experience. I worked in a global pharma and my team were in the US, were in Asia, were, were in Europe. So that has been happening. And what has been a great enabler of that has been technology. And I think one of the core benefits, bizarrely, that has come out of this um, incredible unfortunate you know situation of the pandemic is this enormous social experiment where companies who were toying with the idea of should we give people more flexibility with their working arrangements or not have been forced into it and with that the technology companies have taken off at a rate of knots they're working 24 7 to develop and enhance their platforms that were being used for virtual collaboration so this is affording organizations the opportunity to see what happens when we put uh, the whole workforce working remotely how do people respond how are they collaborating so all the pieces that um ian is speaking about there that we have noticed you know the the greatest challenge is being around collaboration and getting people to connect they have been happening for some organizations for for quite a period of time now so like I say, it it affords organisations then to look individually and see, OK, what's working well in this for us? Where are the challenges for us? Because what are the benefits that accrue to the organisation? Well, if people aren't spending so much time commuting and in frustrating commutes, uh, they're coming to the desk 
sort of ready for action without all the frustrations of road rage or whatever else might go, might go along the way. So people are coming to the workspace in, in a much more positive and ready state, which one imagines therefore has a positive impact on productivity. And anecdotally, and, and through some surveys as well, we're hearing that organisational productivity um, has been um, enhanced. And it's not that people were looking for that as a direct outcome of it, but often one of the reasons for maybe not providing people with flexible work arrangements was the concern that if I can't see them, you know, yeah. they won't be doing the job or, or, or they could be uh, slacking on the job. So that definitely uh, doesn't seem to be the case. But again, I, I think it's very important to remember that it suits people um, to different degrees, depending on where they are in their maturity of their career. Uh, and certainly, again, for organisations, there's a lot at the moment around um, inclusivity. And without a doubt, it creates the opportunity for greater inclusivity, you know, for people for whom it may be more difficult to access an office because of its location mm-hmm. or or for any of the myriad of reasons that one might want to include different people in the workforce it definitely is is a key enabler of that um and therefore that has a positive impact on employee engagement and commitment and retention um and I guess at a practical space as well for organizations if people are working from home they don't have to pay uh, you know, if there was greater flexibility around hot desking that you don't need to rent as much real estate, mm. you know, so so there's knock on benefits in that way. So th- there's a range um, of different benefits. But I think importantly, what it will mean for organizations is how does it influence the culture? Mm. And it's interesting what you were talking there about, you know, recruiting people uh, into any organization and and your own one where fit is very important. You know, um, but but also interestingly about fit is that sometimes we get we, we sort of go over the top in fit to the point that we nearly have clones of ourselves. And that's where we then miss out on diversity. Mm. And often I think in media, when we're talking about diversity, we're going down the gender, you know, the very obvious pieces of diversity but the greatest diversity that exists out there is diversity of thought and so being inclusive of people who think a bit different to us um, and and how do you make them fit into the team so there, there's a whole range of opportunities without a doubt for organizations coming out of this but it obviously won't be without its challenges of how do you accommodate all these things. And both of you are used to working with big organizations. And I think from what I'm picking up on what you're saying there, that that they were they were probably moving towards this anyway and allowing people to to work at home more so than small organizations. So is it a bigger challenge uh, in for for a smaller uh, company to to uh, adapt to this than a bigger organization? The answer is both yes and no. The reason it is more difficult is, naturally enough, being smaller, you have less of a budget. You, uh, you have less of economies of scale, as, as we say. The reason it isn't as difficult is the smaller you are, the easier it is to adapt in, in, any, in any sense of the word. And the reason for that is you don't have a legacy of, uh, of an IT infrastructure, which a lot of organizations would have. A lot of money gets spent on not only building up that infrastructure to work at present, but 
hopefully to work for the next few years. And that's money down. The other thing is a lot of things are then interconnected to it. It's as if you've an IT infrastructure isn't that dissimilar to a physical infrastructure. When you've built roads, a lot of things join those roads. So it is becoming very difficult for some organizations that want to take on what is very new technology to help collaboration. And it can integrate with that infrastructure. It's, uh, its roads just won't join up. If you're a smaller organization, you're less likely to have spent a considerable amount of money and built up a complex web of roads, so to speak, in your IT infrastructure. And therefore you can look at, at very new things coming out uh, from, from Microsoft, from, from new companies we never even heard of that help collaboration. So yes, it is more difficult in that you probably have a smaller budget, but I think these, uh, these big tech companies and now smaller ones competing have made it a lot more affordable. And therefore, you're probably going to see the smaller organizations take on the new ways of working and the new technology that enables that quicker than some of the medium-sized ones that are really struggling now as revenue has come down this year. They're struggling to find that money to invest in, in lots of new technology. We're talking about teams and uh, teams of the past and the teams of the future and how it's going to be different. Kathleen, what can be done to build and maintain the collaboration of the team in the new working environment? So I think some of the pieces that um, Ian has spoken to about there already, you know, the technology is a key enabler of it. Um, and But most importantly is the team coming together and creating their own charter, if you like. So, you know, that sounds like a big fancy word, but what does that mean? As a team, we sit down, um, we agree, how can we work together most effectively so that we can collaborate most effectively? And often we can be great at, you know, identifying all the challenges that we're having and I'm not able to have a meeting when I used to and and all the things that are wrong. And, you know, I will say to people, how can you change that? You know, what would you need to do? Well, you'd need to go up and ask somebody, how can we do that? You know, how can we arrange to all be available at the same time? So it, so it's as a group coming together and sitting down and recognizing what are the challenges that, that we're finding? What have, what are we missing out on because we're not able to get into the, the office together? How can we work together more effectively and some there, there's some great tools out there um personality uh, assessments and team assessments that, that can help a team identify uh what are the things that we do really well and where are our gaps and often when people have been doing things for for quite a while uh, those behaviors are part of what we call the the automatic unconscious so we're we're unconsciously competent so we don't know what's making us competent equally we can be unconsciously incompetent we don't know what we don't know so in order to uncover both of those that's where having a session as a team and and using a tool like um, a psychometric a personality assessment a team assessment is a great foundation for the team and their self-assessment so it's people saying you know the, the these are the things that I do really well these are the things that I enjoy doing uh, these are things that we could be doing better and then based on that as a team 
sitting down and agreeing, here's how we can work most effectively together. And here's how we can use the range of technologies that are available to uh, to their to our best um, intent, I suppose, to, to get the best mm-hmm. outputs for the team. So uh, I would say the big difference between then and now is our intentionality about our actions and just being more deliberate. So as Ian said earlier, things that just happened, now we have to make happen. And if we want, here's a big revelation. If we want something to change, something has to change. And that's that's the simple fact. Ian, is this, is this a good thing or a bad thing or is it just different? It's an opportunity. Mm. Um, and I actually think that Ireland and the Irish are, are very well set up for it. We talk a lot about culture and it's a very, um, it's a very vague term. You know, it, you, can't, you can't grab it. Mm. The reason I think the Irish are very well set up for this is if you think of an office like a village or even a country, uh, it, we've relied upon it to, to give us a sense of shared identity. We go to the same place, we see each other, often use the same canteen, the whole lot. And we've, whether it's conscious or not, the, the powers that be running the organization, mid-level management, everybody takes it for granted that that gives us a sense of we all work in the same place, we're all part of the same team. When you take that away, you have to actually dig a bit deeper into what brings us together. So what is our our shared purpose suddenly becomes something that isn't discussed by about five people in a small team in HR. It's now something that's talked about across the board because it's about the only thing gelling us together, that and maybe a weak IT system. So the culture is, when you think about it from an Irish perspective, why, why are the Irish well set up for this? Well, we've known for 150 years or longer that the Irish emigrate very well. And why we say that is they still remain connected to home and they still remain very identifiable as Irish, mostly for the positive. This actually gives us an insight into how remote working can work. So you can have people who leave Ireland for 20 years and haven't stepped back there. They still have a real connection to it. And they can still, when they come back to the country or even pick up the phone to somebody in that country, fall back into it, fall back into the culture. It's almost built into our DNA to be able to do that. But we're all very lucky to have a very strong culture in Ireland. And it does fall into the way our organizations run. So we have basically forced emigration on everyone out of the office for want of a better word and now we're all in our our different parts of the world different parts of the country but we still have that culture and we've proven ourselves over generations and generations to feel connected it's very important part of being irish and even when you move to ireland from a foreign country that gets under your skin pretty quickly We, we see that a lot in employee surveys and we see that a lot even in the very fact that we can hold on to some top talent from across the world in what is becoming a very expensive country, which still hasn't improved in weather. So this is a strength of ours, and it's a strength we can play on very well in what is an unforeseen future. You know, we we don't know 
Uh, we don't even know how close the horizon is. The horizon is a vaccine here. But irrespective of that, you're going to see remote working and, you know, basically dispersed teams, dispersed individuals no longer being in an office, but having to rely on that shared identity a huge amount more. That is going to be the golden nugget for whether organizations succeed or fall apart in the next three to five years. So, uh, Kathleen, put on your psychic's hat instead of your psychologist's hat. And and what will the workplace look like when uh, we we hopefully have a vaccine and people can come back in? Will organisations be happy enough to have them back in uh, to the same level they had previously? I, I think what everyone wants is a happy medium here, mm. a nice balance of uh, and learning from what we've learned from this great social experiment. So having that blend, because I think everyone benefits in that way. You know, as we've spoken about, it is ticking so many boxes for the individual. Uh, Yes, for the team, that is where the challenge is going to be. But that is um, an absolutely surmountable challenge. And like I say, the rate of technology development is a great enabler of that. Um, and from the organization's point of view, uh, in terms of inclusivity and, and being able to get more people into the workplace, that is going to be a great benefit. So I definitely see the workplace going forward as being this happy blend of um of what works, you know, some remote working, some working in the office. What I will say at the core of it is trust. And even some of the the research and studies that have been done, that organizations that currently offer flexible work arrangements, uh, where they are more informal versus formal, have a far more positive impact on um, employee performance. And the danger is that employment legislation and uh, which is there for an absolutely um, great reason and you know to protect employees but sometimes we can get very bogged down in policy and having you know something that tells us exactly what we need to do and I think we need to learn to be more flexible in how we can interpret uh, policy in order for everyone to get the best out of it Um, and, and having those informal arrangements so letting people figure out what works best for you, Al? What works best for you, Ian? Um, And trusting each other uh, that we will come up with the most optimal um, approach for the individual, which therefore should have an optimal impact on the team, which should incrementally uh, influence the the organisational performance. Anything to add to that, Ian? I, I would add, I'd echo very much that the emphasis on trust will help smooth over a lot of cracks here. If you wait to try and rebuild an organization around this new challenge, you'll be about a year after the vaccine comes in. So to get there quicker, you need to rely on individuals being more flexible and doing things differently. And that all is built on trust. It, it Without that, you won't get people willing to not only share more but do more Mm. now we've seen a huge amount of productivity increase in a lot of a lot of sectors in the last six months and now a lot of that would have been down to a sense of insecurity in some respect people thinking i've got to fight for my right to have this job still in what 
could be a, a, a threatened economy going forward. And a lot of it is also building on the fact that we already had well-established teams. So you've taken people out of an office-based environment for the most part, put them into remote teams. They're living, living off that legacy, so to speak. And as we were talking earlier, we've now got people coming into to organizations. Recruitment is down significantly across every sector, but it hasn't evaporated. It's still a necessity. So you're getting people coming in and you're getting pre-existing people in teams having to work together. How do they build trust? Naturally, they build trust from being in a shared environment. The informal communication, the eye contact, all of that builds up trust. That's like living in the same village. We have to be much more purposeful and deliberate. And I suppose I'd put that responsibility on managers in particular, senior managers, leaders of organizations, because it's going to require not only an investment of time, energy and focus, but some budget. And if you consider the fact that trust built up almost naturally from being in a shared environment, you've taken that away. How are you going to build it up? It's not going to accidentally happen anymore. So you have to go down the route of deliberate action. And what we mean by that in, in our area of expertise is really getting to know your team when they're not in front of you. Mm. A lot of this is a great opportunity, though, because we think we know our teams. We actually don't. Um, and some of that has come out in the last six months in very practical terms of we had no idea the challenges people were going through personally at home might not have come up. It certainly has now. You you have to share. A lot of people have been forced to share their circumstances to, to be given that flexibility. And that has actually helped build trust in some respects. I've been forced to work remotely myself in what was very much an office-based environment. And these conversations we're having internally, uh, this is coming out as well, that, that a lot of people are finding they're, they're discovering things about the people they're working with they never knew. Even, even over all the lunches, all the coffees they had, these real challenging circumstances didn't come up. Now, those are, those are personal circumstances. The other thing is the personality aspect. And we, we talked a little bit about that before. Personality, from a very simple way of looking at this, is you have some people who really are enjoying this change and some who aren't. And without simplifying all the psychology behind it, most people are familiar with introverts and extroverts. Introverts are quite possibly better set up for this challenge in that they draw energy from within. That makes them quite self-disciplined and they don't require as much social interaction. It doesn't mean they don't require any. And we're all on different ends of the spectrum. There's no black and white of being an extrovert or an introvert. But you, it is a strength to not require social engagement right now, not only to satisfy your social need, but also to draw energy. It also, on the flip side, from, a, from an extrovert point of view, we can, we can suffer very quickly from too much airtime going to extroverts in all of these Zoom chats, Microsoft Teams, whatever way you collaborate. So even knowing at a simple level how your team is made up of extroverts and introverts, that's the very first, mm. very first layer of the onion to look at. It gives you an idea of how do you run a meeting? 
you might in the past been able to run a meeting with lots of different personalities around the room and being able to make eye contact, being able to put your hand up, stop things. You could run it quite smoothly, make it fair, involve everybody. Now you've got to be a lot more considerate of who the individuals are. And even that first layer of the onion will help you. Who are my introverts? Who are my extroverts? How am I going to make sure everybody speaks, everybody contributes, everybody feels they have an opportunity to have a voice and have an impact? There are many other layers beneath that, but that's the first one to look at. Just to to wrap up, uh, Kathleen, if we can go to you first, give us one or two quick things that, that people can do to make their remote working life a little easier. Yeah. First up, focus on building team dynamics and a team charter. In other words, taking the few moments to build on what Ian just said there, understand who you have on the team, how they like to be interacted with, when they like to be interacted with. So that's something you can do very quickly. Um, Intentionally plan what happens spontaneously in the office. So uh, like your team lunch, your team get together. So making a deliberate calendar in invite we're going to meet up on on such a date and have a virtual lunch like Ian was doing last night there's two from me what about you Ian well I'm going to look back to one point that Kathleen made at the very start ambient learning which really is just it's unplanned learning it happens from being in an office whether you eavesdrop on something or whether somebody actually pulls you in because you happen to be sitting there they pull you into a meeting or they'll share something with you that wasn't definitely part of your role, but now you're getting that information. That's how you learn. You, you know, what you learn in the first couple of years in an organization makes you wonder why you spent so much money in university. <laughs> and without that, not only are you as an individual not increasing your, your value to the company, increasing your career opportunities, the company then isn't getting that either. You know, uh, I said very briefly before that a company needs to be more than the sum of the individuals. That's that's where they create value. And without people sharing information, quite a lot of the time uh, with little effort and it just coming up, we're losing that. So we're living off that, what we built up over the last few years, a lot of the organizations that have been forced into remote working over the last few months but we're going we're going to we're going to see suffering from that in the next year to two if we don't make conscious efforts now to more deliberately share knowledge it's going to be difficult you're going to have to reconsider what time you put into a week and we need to get past this stage of reacting to this challenge firefighting is a term and start getting comfortable with it, start making new ways of working that don't lose all of those things that we, out of luck, or certainly not always out of intention, got from the office. Uh, If we don't do that now, we're going to look back in about a year's time or 18 months time and wonder not only why our our graduates or our our new entrants to the organization are, are struggling, to show what we would have expected after two years or after a year, but also even at the very senior levels, why we're possibly not uh, gelling as closely, not making joint decisions. Joint decisions come from joint knowledge and sharing and, and learning from each other. So 
these things need to start happening now. Thank you very much for, for joining us today. And hopefully the listener has learned and, and enjoyed the last uh, 35 minutes or whatever I certainly have. Thank you very much to Kathleen Halligan, a chartered work and organisational psychologist and seasoned HR strategist, and Ian Croxon, an organisational psychologist working within learning and development in the Irish banking sector. Thank you so much for joining us. That was the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast. If you want any more information, you can check out the website, psychologicalsociety.ie specifically the Find a Psychologist section. We'll see you next time. Thank you.